mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, Ohio's proposed Social Media Parental Notification Act aims to restrict kids' access to harmful material on the internet. Mental health experts say the measure would have a significant positive impact, but is it really possible to put the genie back in the bottle? Also this morning, the difference between leveraging technology and relying on technology. Why one can lead to greater business success and the other won't. And in our community and business spotlight this morning, the United Way of Hancock County is all about bettering the lives of people in the community and not just through its annual fundraising campaign. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, June 14th, 2023. Today is Flag Day, so, you know, wave the flag today, Flag City, USA, big, big day. It is World Blood Donor Day, National Strawberry Shortcake Day. I believe they're referring to the food, not the children's cartoon character. Uh, International Bath Day, please, please bathe today. And it is National Bourbon, Bourbon Day, so enjoy bourbon with your strawberry shortcake while well, you're giving blood and waving the flag. Uh, So this is kind of interesting. Um, Among the uh, first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day, uh, I saw this on the uh, Newswire, and it was a a rather in-depth piece. I'll try and uh, give you the summary of it as best I can. An increasing number of big city dwellers are leaving behind the bright lights and big expenses of city life for smaller, cheaper towns. But for at least one smaller city in Indiana, those who have moved in, it's not just about saving money, they're actually making money in the process. A program touted by... I guess a number of cities in Indiana and other less populous states is offering thousands of dollars in relocation grants for those who are willing to pack up and move into their town. There is a website for this called MakeMyMove.com, which allows potential residents to learn about, um, sort through, and apply for perks, including cash, recreational passes, health stipends, and child care support for cities that are literally paying people to move there. Uh, And there are also a growing number of companies who are incentivizing people to move uh, to the areas where they need workers. Uh, But this specifically is about uh, municipalities that are offering perks. They're paying people, literally paying people to move in. According to Business Insider, city dwellers are increasingly moving to less populated areas driven in part by remote work opportunities that opened up during the pandemic. Uh, The most common areas that Americans want to leave, according to a recent report by Redfin, include San Francisco, New York, and Los Angeles, three of the most expensive cities to live in this country. And so people want to leave. Uh, Many will move to Florida. Um, but, you know, Florida or, you know, warmer weather spots that are maybe a little less expensive, but even Florida is getting uh, rather pricey in the number of people who are moving in. 
So back in February, Mariah and Chad Zingarelli decided to sell their home in Fresno, California and move to Noblesville, Indiana. Population about 71,000. Um, so, and obviously moving to from California to Indiana uh, can be a bit of a, a culture shock. But they were drawn in by an ad on MakeMyMove.com offering $5,000, a $5,000 relocation grant for families who decided to move who decided to move into the town of Noblesville. Uh, other perks include coffee with the town's mayor and memberships to a golf club and co-working space. Uh, the Zingarellis, who run a social media marketing firm, said that while the town's family-friendly reputation was a big draw, the extras was what really sealed the deal. Um, they found a four-bedroom house for $495,000, significantly cheaper than California, and they moved three months ago. Uh, the website, MakeMyMove.com, partnered with Indiana's Economic Development Corp to help fund the program, which is available for those who move in from out of state, have a remote job, and make about $50,000 a year. Uh, about 22,000 people have applied for relocation through the site over the last two years, resulting in 400 moves to Indiana and 350 more expected very soon. Now, I don't know that anyone uh, around here, I know the city of Finley doesn't do this, and uh, I, I don't know that anyone, I, I don't know if there's any place in Ohio that does this. But uh, is this the next big thing in terms of economic development and drawing people to a to a uh, a certain city uh, to uh, help with the uh, growth and expansion of said city? People to move in? I don't know. What do you think? That's kind of crazy. Uh, that will be something worth uh, watching. I have I have heard of these types of things before, but they're usually kind of novelty things. This seems to be an ongoing program. Doesn't say how long this offer is good for, but it is uh, quite the organized effort to uh, to get people to move in to these uh, towns in Indiana. Noblesville being one of them, kind of interesting. Uh, a couple of other uh, interesting items among the first things you need to know this morning. The most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. Uh, let's see. Um. Uh, this is kind of interesting. A lot of people uh, will uh, will go around, and you've probably seen somebody in the office uh, like this uh, that uh, walks around with a water bottle in their in their hand all day long, and uh, is a very trendy thing to do. Stay hydrated. You have your water bottle, but who wants to drink just plain old water every day? There are tons of healthy options when it comes to spicing up your glass of water to promote healthy habits. So some of the best things to add to your tall glass of water include lemon, lemon, mint, or cucumbers to give yourself a fresh boost. But uh, And those are fairly common. Lemon, cucumbers, mint. But there are other options as well. I thought this was uh, kind of interesting, uh, depending on what you, what your health goals are. 
Things like ginger or cumin can help ease stomach aches. Ginger or cumin can help ease stomach aches. Um, let's see here. Apple cider vinegar is a weight loss. Uh, b- give yourself a weight loss boost, a weight loss promoter. Help speed up your metabolism. Uh, adding cinnamon or fresh fruits to your water can provide an added nutrient boost that makes a, a glass of water even more satisfying. So if you're one of those people who always has a, a bottle of water at your desk, but you get a little tired of just plain old water all the time, there you go. Things to add to your water. Um, a story that I saw here that I thought was uh, kind of interesting. You know how emojis um, have been popping up in all types of communication. It started with texting. People use emojis uh, to express uh, certain emotions and uh, things that words didn't adequately convey uh, in a text message. So we use emojis. And then... From there, it started to pop up in like social media posts and even emails between individuals, personal emails. Um, more and more, you're starting to see emojis pop up in business emails. Well, now, uh, this story on the uh, Newswire, emojis could soon start popping up in medical communications. Uh, yeah, if your doctor sends you an, an email or even a letter, don't be surprised if it includes an emoji. While that may sound kind of strange... And maybe even unprofessional, the authors of a new study say these pictograms are renowned for their universal appeal and may be able to replace traditional communication methods and engage more effectively with patients. With the widespread use of smartphones, emoji have become a popular medium for expressing emotions and ideas. Researchers, the University of California, Riverside, now believe these expressive icons could play a significant role in medicine enhancing the response rate of health surveys. Scientists propose that employing emojis in healthcare communications has several benefits, such as uh, universal recognition and accessibility across diverse populations. The uh, study authors uh, strongly advocate for the integration of emojis to bolster communication between patients and physicians. You just got to be careful how you do that, because nobody wants an emoji that says, uh, I'm sorry you only have six months to live with a sad face. Yeah. <laughs> with a crying emoji. Uh, doesn't. Uh... Uh, and th- how crazy is this? I talk about uh, some amazing news. And uh, this is you know not getting huge headlines or anything like that. But I think it's significant. Nonetheless, researchers have discovered a new species of dinosaur. In eastern Utah, Emory County, Utah, Uh, information published last week indicates a new species was discovered in a 99-million-year-old rock uh, that was found uh, there in eastern Utah. Paleontologists have been examining the rock for, I don't know, seven or eight years and they described the dinosaur as about 12 feet long with a with a bill, like a duck, looking like a giant duck. Dinosaur appears to have died out during the uh, Cretaceous period, which occurred more than 66 million years ago. Uh, researchers are hopeful that more fossils will be discovered that will provide more information about this new species. How crazy is this? 
66 million years after the fact, we're still discovering new dinosaurs. I mean, who would have who would have thought? I think that uh, the whole idea of a new dinosaur uh, is just boggles my mind. I just thought that was kind of interesting. So there you go. Uh, some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories. The uh, stuff that kind of caught my eye as perusing the newswire this morning. Get your uh, midweek Wednesday morning started here. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Becoming partly sunny today with a high in the mid-70s. Just a few clouds tonight, a low in the mid-50s. A passenger in the stolen car that hit and killed Bluffton police officer Dominic Francis in March 2022 learned how long he'll be behind bars. Zachary Love was sentenced to two years and nine months in prison in Hancock County Common Pleas Court. Love previously pleaded guilty to tampering with evidence, having a weapon under disability, and improper handling of a firearm in a vehicle. Another passenger, Dante Tate, pleaded guilty in February and was sentenced to two and a half years. And the man who was driving the stolen vehicle, Amin Johnson, previously pleaded guilty and was sentenced to 21 to 26 and a half years. Get more on the website. After about three weeks without rain, Ohio farmers are breathing a sigh of relief that we finally got some. The sky is opening up to break that dry spell. Now, a spokesperson for the Ohio Farm Bureau tells me there are about 75,000 farm families in the state. He spoke with farmers from every corner and says they are all rejoicing with this rainfall. He says this rain will help revive and green up some crops and help them look less withered. And for many young crops, seeds may still be in the ground waiting for this rain to start that germination process. ONN's Isabel Lawrence reporting. The kids at Camp 911 got to see some Finley Police Department canines in action. That was Officer Atkins demonstrating how his canine partner Deke won't let go of a suspect until he gives the order. See video of the canine demonstration and learn more about Camp 911 with this story on our website. The Cleveland Browns say their new dog logo has officially been selected by the fans and players. The Browns say the winning logo displays the intensity and passion of the fan base while including several symbols that highlight the history of both the franchise and Cleveland. The logo will be prominently displayed in future merchandise and other team uses. Remember, you can always get more news online at WFIN.com. Matt Demchek for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. our cover story this morning earlier this week the governor held a press conference and announced a proposed social media parental notification act which aims to restrict kids access to social media and the harmful material that it disseminates on the internet mental health experts say the measure would have a significant positive impact on our youth and we are joined this morning by executive by the executive director of the ohio suicide prevention foundation tony coder who was uh there as part of the uh announcement earlier this week in the rollout of uh, this proposed act and uh, tony thanks very much for uh, taking the time uh, we certainly appreciate it yeah thank you so much chris for having me on this morning so uh the main provision or you know the way this was uh, framed as we mentioned it would set a minimum age of 16 to allow uh, young people to create their own social media accounts go on these uh apps like uh, facebook and twitter and instagram and so on and so forth 
is that it or are there other provisions of this act that also that this also encompasses so um it, it actually a child can uh create even under this act a child could create a uh, social media account um but, but however, with parental per- the permission the issue is is that parents um parents would have to uh understand uh realize it's happening and mm-hmm. actually sign uh, give a consent form um of some kind whether it's electronic a, a video conference something like that to assure that the parents know that this child is signing up for a social media account um so it gives parents uh, a much better um understanding of what their kids are doing online so it raises a couple of uh, questions immediately. The first thing that jumped to my mind is, is this trying to put the genie back in the bottle, the toothpaste back in the tube? I mean, there are literally billions of people on social media, millions of young people. Do we really expect that they will uh, sign out of their accounts and delete their apps from their devices? Well, uh, again, it, it, there's two things that I hope happens from this. One is um, that it allows parents to have a conversation about social media. Mm-hmm. With all of the great things going on with social media, uh, you know, you and I catch up, Chris. We, uh, uh, you know, all, uh, friends from uh, high school. Yeah, such. I was going to say, um, in the, in the it, interest of... In the interest of full disclosure, yeah. Tony and I go way back. We were uh, classmates and, and good friends in high school. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I mean, there's lots of great things, but you know, as we're starting to find out uh, with um, with mental health, it, social media, uh, the studies are showing that social media is having an impact uh, on uh, on mental health, especially of children uh, that we just didn't realize before. So, you know, I know that social media has been around. But, uh, you know, the studies that are coming out about uh, social media and, uh, you know, suicide is the second leading cause of death for kids 10 to 24, mm-hmm. um, and, and it seems to be climbing every year. You know, we, we need to do some things to, to you know, try to, uh, as you put it, uh, put, put some of the genie back in the bottle. Let's talk a little bit about the, that research, uh, which backs up this uh, measure. As a matter of fact, it's kind of interesting. The uh, Surgeon General himself uh, echoes this call for a higher threshold i think that right now it's it's age 13 to create your own account but that's not based on anything having to do with the maturity level of adults that has to of uh, young people that has to do with uh a law that restricts the ability of a company to collect data from uh, kids younger than 13 so that's uh, the reason for that it has nothing to do with what we're talking about here um, and in an interview with the Wall Street Journal, I think it is, uh, the Surgeon General also is, is uh, encouraging uh, a, a second look at this. What does the, the research say about the impact of social media, the, the degree to which this is influencing some of those statistics that you mentioned? So um, one of the things that, that really uh, popped out at me from the Surgeon General report uh, was that research shows that adolescents who spend more than three hours per day on social media um, double the risk of experiencing poor mental health outcomes like uh, depression and anxiety. And then when you couple that with um, a survey that was done in 2021 that shows that kids spend 
three and a half hours on average a day on social media, you know, those numbers uh, don't line up well. Um, and, you know, we, we've seen, especially since the pandemic, um, a, a larger number of kids who are experiencing these uh, symptoms of uh, depression, anxiety, and other mental health issues. Mm-hmm. What about the this, – this doesn't necessarily uh... – this is not necessarily to say that that everything in surrounding social media is is negative. Certainly, there are some positive aspects of social media uh, that have been documented as well. I mean, for example, uh, for individuals, young people who are sort of marginalized, uh, they can uh, connect with uh, others who are in similar situations and learn that they are not alone and sort of assimilate. And that's been uh, something that uh, has been mentioned in terms of what social media allows. So I guess my, my question here is how do parents navigate uh, all of that and make sure that they can balance the, the positive and the negative aspects of uh, any form of social media? Because as you mentioned, it's not like kids are not going to be on social media. Well, and that's what I liked about this piece of legislation was it didn't ban, you know, I don't think prohibitions necessarily work for anything Mm -hmm. um, in life. And um, so this doesn't prohibit um, a kid having social media, but again, it gives parents that understanding. Okay, my kid is on social media. I know what sites my kids are on, whether it's Snapchat or Facebook or Twitter Mm -hmm. or Instagram, whatever they are. Um, And there's some, you know, a ton of didn't hear of until uh, we did more of this research. Um, So just giving uh, parents an opportunity to understand, you know, they they want to, you know, uh, you and I, you know, have been parents for years and years, and we both want to know where our kids are, especially when they're 14, you know, 13, 14 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, Why wouldn't we want to know where they are online? Uh, Why, again, brings up the, uh, the question, why 16? I mean, what, what is that that threshold? I mean, what's the significance of of that threshold? Um, it was uh, it, it was uh, as uh, Lieutenant Governor Husted said. Um, it was an age that uh, some of the research showed uh, that this was uh, the age where you know kids would were, were not getting targeted so much, um, and, and also you know I know that Utah um, did the same law, and their age is eighteen. So it is where uh, the legislators and uh, the, the policymakers uh, who have done, you know, a lot of research before this bill was even created, mm-hmm. um, you know, looked at this and found that, you know, this is the age that, uh, you know, we think parents should be given, um, you know, uh, freedom to, to understand where their kids are on, uh, where they are online and be able to, uh, you know, help, help have those, uh, you know, really, really beneficial conversations. Um, this will obviously have to be passed by the state legislature. It's not something the governor made the announcement, but the governor can't just decree uh, this. So it is uh, something that will have to uh, go through the process and be passed by the legislature. Have you reached out or have other legislature les- members of the legislature reached out to you uh, to discuss this? What have those conversations been like? So this is in the um, Ohio budget bill. Uh, this was some, uh, something that was put in uh, with the, uh, you know, I think it's a 7,000-page document. Um, so, you know, it is something that we have reached out on. Um, and there have been, um, you know, some uh, pe- people understand 
legislators understand that there are some, you know, with all of the great things that happen with the Internet, you know, there are also some, uh, especially for kids, some dangers, whether it's, uh, you know, the, the data that's being used or even folks who are uh, connecting with them online. Uh, you know, we, we've had a lot, uh, a number of sextortion cases mm-hmm. um, in the state of Ohio where, you know, people have posed as, ki- as kids, uh, you know, they, they've sent them photos that, uh, or the, the kids have sent them photos, yeah. and then they, um, you know, extort them. And, uh, you know, we had one young man in Cleveland who uh, took his life, I think it was 27 minutes um, after he found out that uh, yeah. his, um, his his photo was leaked online. Mm-hmm. Um, we mentioned the uh, Surgeon General's uh, report on this, and uh, there does seem to be uh, also some support at the federal level, which um, sort of goes to the the question and not just with this measure with other uh, attempts or or concerns and questions over regulating uh, the internet is this is this really doable at the state level or is this something that you would much prefer to see uh, f- uh federal uh action on um it, it there would be some, i think it's easier on one hand to do it at the state level just because you know instead of the uh, you know six million kids we have in uh, in the state of Ohio, uh, you know as opposed to the you know hundreds of millions of kids that we have at the, the federal level, mm-hmm. um, the uh, the issue, however, lie lies with how this is done uh, across state lines. If if you know yeah. if a kid from Kentucky comes here, you know how does that work? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know there are some uh, things that have to be worked out and considered uh, as uh, you know. Hopefully, this legislation gets passed. And um, you know, as, as I've spoken to the governor and lieutenant governor, um, you know, this is something that uh, they plan on. Um, you know, really uh, putting uh, rules around uh, that that you know again does not prohibit. But instead, is a is an aid to parents uh, to navigate the very murky waters of social media. We will leave it there for now, but uh, obviously we will continue to follow this uh, as it goes through the process. The Social Media Parental Notification Act uh, that was uh, introduced uh, earlier this week. Again, Tony Coder is executive director of the Ohio Suicide Prevention Foundation which we have a link to at our webpage at goodmornings.net, by the way, if you want to uh, learn more about the work that they do. Tony, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Hey, thanks so much, Chris. Well, you know, it has always been true, but especially today, great customer experiences are key to driving business growth. When every competitor in virtually every business category is just one click away, it's really easy for them to not give you a second chance. And for all the technology that drives business these days, people are still the essential part of delivering that experience the customers expect. Ashley Haynes Gaspar is Executive Vice President and Customer Service Officer at Lumen, a company which describes itself as the fastest, most secure platform for next-gen apps and data. And Ashley, what we're really describing here is kind of leveraging the mindset of leveraging technology as a tool for your people to provide exceptional customer service, as opposed to relying on the technology to provide the customer service itself. Is that basically the moral of the story? That is exactly right. And and the reason I find this interesting, especially given this obsession that we suddenly have with AI and the stories that we keep hearing about the ways it is being deployed, I, I guess I wonder if 
sometimes we are forgetting that it is the humans that still really drive future success. That's absolutely true. Uh, and I, I like to think about customer experience and customer obsession as not just about customers, but about employee experience as well. At mm. the end of the day, our brands as companies are promises that marketing makes that the rest of the company delivers on. Uh, and I think customer obsession really starts with every single one of your employees and helping them understand what customer obsession means in the context of their role. It will be fairly intuitive for functions that tend to be more customer facing like sales and service and product management. Mm -hmm. But the unlock comes from figuring out what that looks like for functions that may be less traditional like AR, you know, accounts receivable, how your finance teams reach out to customers matters. Is it reinforcing of that brand? Legal, you know, that matters. And mm -hmm. every employee really knowing how they connect to delivering on the commitment and promise to customers is essential. And then it's really about listening with empathy. Where did we get it right? Where did we miss? Um, and to your point, you know, we are investing in systems and tools, tapping into AI and machine learning to help us better interpret and action feedback. But I really don't think about that as the digitization of the customer experience. I think about that as the digitization of the employee experience so they can spend their time focused on higher order problems, making a difference in more meaningful ways for customers by automating the easy so they can focus on the meaningful. Hmm. Um, so what are some of the key steps to doing that and, and unlocking that potential that our people, our employees have? So what I like to do is to spend a day in the shoes. I think sitting, senior leaders sitting and shadowing their customer-facing roles is absolutely essential. I think understanding what feels easy versus what feels effortful, super important. You can use data and analytics and time studies to understand that. I think you can then bounce that up against your customer experience. Uh, an area that customers tend to struggle with uh, is billing across industries. That also tends to be something that can be hard for customer-facing teams, um, that two-way intersection of what feels hard for employees and what feels hard for customers, and then figuring out how to use systems, processes, and tools to unlock product productivity in both of those spaces not only improves employee satisfaction, but also customer satisfaction. I, it, it sounds as though, and I want you to kind of expand on this uh, a, a little bit, that yeah. this also speaks to one of the uh, big workplace stories, ongoing stories really ever since the pandemic has been the amount of stress that employees uh, workplace stress they seem to uh, be under, that uh, there's the constant pressure to improve productivity, uh, do more with less, you know, all of these types of buzzwords that we yeah. hear. But it, but worker stress has certainly been one of the narratives, uh, especially over the past couple of years. And it, it sounds like what you're talking about also comes into play in, in terms of addressing that issue. It does, because I think if you can figure out how to make the hard things easier for your team, mm -hmm. it helps to reduce stress. And, you know, one of the things that we, we talk about, and I know has been spoken about in the press, is this moment of great resignation to get the great retention. Exactly. Um, yeah, and I think stress left unchecked can absolutely lead to burnout. I think we have all found that wall at points in our career. 
And I think one of the greatest things and one of the greatest callings of leadership is to figure out how to manage the energy of our organizations. And this at its core is really about being intentional, finding ways to help teams connect at a human level beyond work topics, moving together, breathing together, laughing together um, is super important. I think normalizing conversations around burnout and resources to address it are super important um, because we live in a world that's always on. And I think one of the ways that we can unlock our best selves and our teams is through figuring out how to be intentional. I like to do this in two ways. Um, You know, it's common to do goals and objectives reviews to look at the KPIs of the business. I love to understand the personal operating system of the person across from me, what are their personal goals and objectives? And we talk about those just as much as we talk about the results. If they wanna be home for dinner five nights a week, how are you doing against that? If they're training for a marathon and they wanna do certain miles a day or miles a week, Mm -hmm. how are you doing against that? So I think that's the first thing. I think the second thing is, you know, when things are hard and stressful, we have a tendency to just ignore it. Like if we just put our head down and pick our pencil up, this too shall pass. What I've learned as leaders is we have to name it. We have to talk about it. We have to figure out what the heck we do about it. Because I think people can feel shame when they're in struggle. They tell themselves stories about what it means to be a big leader. You know, this shouldn't feel hard. If I were bigger, more talented, better, it wouldn't. And I think darkness can grow Um, when we don't talk about the hard things. And I think shame can grow when we don't talk about the hard things. So I think as a leader normalizing, hey, listen, this feels really stressful right now. Mm -hmm. It feels really hard and it doesn't feel sustainable. What would make it better? What is my role as your leader and what does support look like for me can really go a long way to connecting with the human on the other end of that experience and figuring out how to best support them through the hard. Now, the other narrative, and this actually is kind of an extension, I think, of, of what we're talking about here, is um, the the fear, uh, both in terms of employees and to a certain extent customers. Again, we talk about leveraging technology as a tool versus relying on technology to replace the human experience. And again, I think uh, both uh, employees and customers have that fear and and that apprehension. How do you excite people uh, to this kind of transformation using technology as a tool uh, while reassuring them that it's it's not using technology to replace individuals? It's such a great question. And I think about the experience that I had at my local coffee shop this morning when I rolled in to get to get my my cup of morning uh, inspiration. <laughs> Oftentimes we use data to talk about personalization, but the real experience happens when we move from personalization and we make it personal. So I have the mobile app. I order my, my cup of courage every morning, mm-hmm. uh, but I use my husband's account. And when I walk in, his name is always on the cup. And yet the crew behind the counter knows that I am not his name. Mm-hmm. They know my name is Ashley. They greet me with a smile. They ask me how work's going. They ask me if I've been roller skating lately. The answer is usually always yes. And when I'm on the road, I miss my local Starbucks crew. I miss them because they have figured out how to use data and analytics to know the types of things that I always order because I'm in my husband's account, but they figured out how to make it personal 
where if they happen to be out of the thing I typically go for, they know the second thing that's my preference and they have it ready when I, when I walk in. So this notion of personalization to personal employees will always be required because that's where the magic is. The magic is in the personal experience. Data just helps people to know others better at scale. Again, Ashley Haynes-Gaspar is Executive Vice President and Customer Experience Officer at Lumen. Now, mention uh, where folks can learn more about what you do and how you are helping uh, companies leverage that uh, data for that better experience and that uh, uh, creating that uh, employee-customer obsession, if you will. You bet. I've spent my career doing transformations, and I love to share my thoughts on how to unlock people, teams, culture to unlock results on my LinkedIn page. I encourage anyone who uh, would like to connect to find me there, and I would love to hear your thoughts on how you unlock your teams for their greatest potential to drive transformation and results. Ashley, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Absolutely, Chris. Thank you so much. Now, the Good Mornings Community and Business Spotlight. United Way CEO Angela Dabosky is with us once again in the studio this morning. And uh, Angela, this is something that maybe we haven't really uh, talked about as much as perhaps we should in the past. Outside, everybody's familiar with the campaign. Yeah, uh, and, you know, time. fundraising and, and all of that. And before too long, it's going to be time to start talking about that again. But outside of that and, and outside of that campaign funding for your partner agencies, what does the United Way do in terms of bettering the lives of individuals within the community? Because it's we always say it's more than just the campaign. Yes. But what is it? What is it? Uh to kind of frame it, United Way is an umbrella across our community. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at um, how is our community taken care of and what kind of gaps do we have in services to people that are needed uh, within the community and hitting those priorities that we have as a community. Um, and so we're looking at bringing programs that aren't any increase in funding into the community that aid the people that live here. Mm-hmm. A couple of examples uh, of that. One, and this is something that we uh, mentioned, I think, uh, the last time we had you here, uh, expanding the uh, availability and access to the farmer's market for low-income individuals. There are a lot of people struggling right now with the cost of food prices. Right. And so those folks that are on SNAP, which is Government Assistance for Food, Mm -hmm. are now able to use the farmer's market every Thursday to go and buy fresh fruits and vegetables through a program and uh, that we were able to bring in to use SNAP, but then we also have a doubling, so it's called Produce Perks. So you go in, you spend a dollar, you get an additional dollar to be able to spend at the farmer's market. So it not only benefits our our local farmers and what they can sell locally, Mm -hmm. but it also gives fresh food options to families. There was a family that came in last week and their whole entire family was there, all the kids, and they said they plan their menu for the week based on what's available at the market and use their SNAP benefits to do that. It's terrific. It seems Uh, really smart. Yeah, uh, it's kind of a no-brainer. You also uh, are in the middle of putting together a child care survey. We know that this is a big need in the community, um, and you're going to take a closer look at this. 
Yeah, sometimes it takes more than one organization to work together to solve a community problem. And mm-hmm. so we're working with several stakeholders and organizations across Hancock County. Quite often. Quite often. And this project is no different. And we will be sending surveys out starting the, at the end of this week to individuals as well as businesses um, in order to have a strategic plan. You need to know exactly where you are and exactly where you want to go. And this survey is going to give us that quantifiable data of where are we with childcare. Mm -hmm. We know what the waiting lists are. What are people wanting in quality childcare locally? How does that affect our workforce? How does that affect what companies would like to do? And then once we have that data, we can say, here's where we want to go as a community. And then, again, bringing outside dollars into the community, how can we leverage grant funding to be able to do that? That's uh, the next question that I wanted to ask. You mentioned grant funding because, again, we talk about these are the things that you're doing outside of the campaign and outside of the support for your partner agencies. Where does the funding come from for programs such as this? Our board has made a really strong effort to look at diversifying our revenue stream. So historically, it had been primarily campaign, Mm -hmm. um, and then we would distribute those dollars out into the community as best needed. Now we're also looking at um, bringing in outside dollars from grants, whether it's state, federal, foundation grants, you name it. So how can we look at collaborations in a unique way to fill the gaps in our community and to sustain what we already have going on? Now, specifically on this child care survey, uh, because again, you're going to launch that this week, what is the timeline on that? We're hoping to have really good, actionable data by the end of the month. Uh, We will keep it open for several weeks after that. So um, take it and then send it on to others that you know. So whether you have children, you're planning on having children, you had children, um, or you just see from somebody else's shoes what is needed within the community, we want to hear from you. So feedback from the entire uh, community is being sought uh, in this. And we will certainly talk more about it once you've had a chance to kind of peruse some of that data that you get back, I'm sure. Yeah. Again, uh, Angela Dabosky from uh, the United Way of Hancock County with us. Now, there is uh, more information on your website on all of these initiatives and more, right? Yes, you can go to uwhancock.org. Uh, there is a new provider list that will be, if you're looking for child care providers in the area, you can go and search that, as well as find the surveys directly and share it with somebody else. Angela, thanks very much for dropping by. Thanks. The Community and Business Spotlight is a promotional advertisement paid for by the featured sponsor. Information that makes a difference. Good mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Five people are facing conspiracy charges for allegedly scamming New Jersey's Edison Township out of $300,000. I've heard of uh, scamming individuals, but scamming an entire township, scamming a government entity, that, that takes guts. I mean, that takes some witzpah right there. Um, this uh, group of individuals, suspects from Texas and California, are accused of tricking town officials into wiring money to a fake bank account that the township officials believe belong to a town vendor. The uh, <laughs> and I would imagine there are some very hard questions being asked of the uh, 
Edison Township officials in New Jersey there, I would think. Uh, U.S. Uh, U.S. Attorney's Office said it is part of a larger national scheme uh, to deceive uh, victims. That is, that's crazy. And then scamming an entire township of $300,000. couple of other items in the uh, broken news, the odd and unusual side of the headlines. A man from Central Florida was arrested after jumping out of a second-story apartment window after emergency responders were called to the scene to address a car crash into the apartment building. Apparently, 44-year-old man, name is not given in the report, uh, sometime before 4 a.m., crashed into the building. (laughs) It's a very unique way of breaking in. He crashed his car into the building and then began looting the apartments inside. He tried barricading himself in a second-story apartment that he was burglarizing, but eventually jumped after the SWAT team was called in and threatened to shoot him if he didn't surrender. <laughs> he decided jumping out of a second-story window was a better uh, better uh, idea. Hard to believe that this uh, this guy couldn't come up with a better plan. After all, he is rather experienced in this thing. The uh, man... Uh, adding this incident to a long list of crimes that include 139 previous felony charges and 30 felony convictions. 139 previous uh, charges and 30 previous convictions. (laughs) How is he even out on the street? I wonder. Uh, He's been a very busy boy. Elsewhere in the broken news... In Minnesota, a man named uh, Alan Duncan had a brilliant plan to rob some banks in nearby Chicago. He didn't want to rob banks in his own town. He'd be recognized there. So he went to Chicago where he could be anonymous. Sounds like a great plan. Unfortunately uh, for uh, Mr. Duncan, (laughs) fate was not on his side. You know how some people are just naturally unlucky? Uh... After successfully robbing a bank and returning to Minnesota, uh, Mr. Duncan's car, along with the stolen cash, were stolen from him. (laughs) He he had his stolen cash in his car, which was then stolen from him. Uh, Undeterred, though, Mr. Duncan made a second attempt at robbing another bank in Chicago, this time... His getaway money was stained in a dye pack, dye pack explosion. Uh, if, <laughs> uh, eventually, authorities caught up with Mr. Duncan, finding his abandoned car with red dye stains inside. In this case, he, he got his first car stolen, then he abandoned his second one because there was dye all over it. Eventually, the authorities caught up with uh, Mr. Duncan, finding his abandoned car with the red dye stains inside. He tried to come up with an elaborate story about lending his car to someone and it being stolen, and but uh, <laughs> eventually the whole thing uh, all unraveled, and now Alan finds himself behind bars facing charges for his failed bank heists. Um, <laughs> maybe you think you should think of a, a career change. You know, it's, <laughs> it doesn't seem like. Uh, bank robbery is uh, necessarily his cup of tea. He just can't seem to get it right. <laughs> Fate telling him you need to uh, consider a career change. 
Uh, let's see. From the uh, international file of the uh, broken news, I believe this is um, uh, from England. This is a report in The Guardian, so I'm assuming that this is from Great Britain. Henry Hendren, a once respected barrister, he's a British for attorney, um, has now found himself on the wrong side of the law. After representing two men in drug cases, he was caught attempting to buy drugs from his clients. <laughs> All right. Um, not just their attorney, but also a customer. Uh, Mr. Hendren's ill-fated visit to uh, the prison to see his clients led to his arrest and subsequent 14-month jail sentence of his own. Despite his previous professional standing, the judge emphasized the seriousness of Mr. Hendren's offenses, saying he had abused his role as legal counsel. So, it appears his legal career has reached its end. <laughs> Representing two, two men in drug supply cases. Oh, hey, by the way, you have any drugs I could buy? Yeah. Not a good career move for, uh, <clears throat> for an attorney. Um. Only marginally better than the guy who had trouble robbing the banks, I guess. Speaking of uh, new careers. And uh, this is uh, also from... Oh, no, this is uh, from Long Island. I was thinking that this was uh, in Great Britain as well. But no, this is uh, Long Island. But it is, a again, a story about somebody who may need to uh, consider a career change. A, uh, a man by the name of uh, Kevin Sabella... Was running for town council um, on uh, on Long Island, uh, losing some support, shall we say, after uh, photos were published showing him standing naked at the front door of his home. <laughs> the local Republican committee uh, tells uh, tells uh, news reporters that they are not going to support Mr. Sabella in his run. Uh, witnesses say Mr. Sabell has been standing nude behind the screen of his front door for the past two months. <laughs> Just feet from his campaign sign. <laughs> well, trying to call attention to his campaign sign. That's when you get people to made you look. Um, <laughs> uh, Mr. Sabella has not responded to uh, media's uh, questions asking if he would withdraw from the from the race. Uh, police are investigating uh, for a possible charge of indecent exposure. <laughs> Maybe not necessarily cut out for politics, I'm thinking. That's unique campaign strategy. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Uh, today's broken news report. Sometimes you have breaking news, and then there's the news that is already broken. Check of the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. You don't think twice about wearing your seatbelt. Going boating? Real boaters wear a life jacket. It's easy to do. Accidents can happen quickly, and if you're not wearing your life jacket, you won't have time to put it on if it's stowed. So pick a comfortable life jacket and wear it. Remember, life jackets are for everyone, regardless of your age or swimming ability. Have fun, make memories, and boat responsibly. This message brought to you by the National Safe Boating Council and U.S. Coast Guard. This message provided by WFIN. 
And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. We mentioned earlier in the week, I think, this uh, this survey of 2,000 retirees uh, conducted by one poll on behalf of ClearMatch Medicare finds that many Americans are retiring earlier than they expected to. Uh, the average respondent initially said that they expected to retire at the age of 63.2 years, but instead did so at age 61 and a half. And 32% of those said that they would have retired even earlier if they'd had the chance. But uh, what is the biggest adjustment? Do they miss it? Um, it's kind of interesting. 81% of those retirees admitted to having difficulties when retiring, but not so much that they missed the job. Only 22% said letting go of their career was the biggest adjustment. Adjustment. 51% said accepting changes to their health as they age. Um, but this was kind of interesting. Almost 9 in 10 of those who have retired have not returned to the workforce. 87% have not returned to the workforce now that they have left it. Even though 78% uh, reportedly found fulfillment in their career, only 25% said that they actively missed working. 47% said that they didn't miss it at all. Of those who did return to the workforce, 40% did so not out of financial concerns, uh, but rather just to occupy their time. Uh, only one in four, 26%, returned to work because of the cost of living had increased. And this is kind of interesting. I'm talking about uh, even though they're retiring earlier than anticipated, that doesn't necessarily mean that their finances are in great shape. 26% returned to work because the cost of living had increased. But 44% of those polled admitted that the amount of money that they saved up for retirement wasn't enough. Um when asked to share their thoughts on some of the most common myths about retirement, 57% cited the belief that Social Security would cover their retirement needs. Uh, that is a big myth. Almost half, 51%, brought up the idea that all health care costs are covered under Medicare, which, of course, uh, they are not. So some of the uh, most common myths. But still, only one in four, only 26%, returned to work because the cost of living had increased. So officially, the Riverside Summer Concert Series begins a week from today. And uh, tonight, though, the Finley Civic Concert Band uh, begins their season, kind of a uh, precursor to the uh, formal concert series. Uh, not at Riverside, but over at uh, St. Michael's. And... Uh, <laughs> Brian Witt is with us uh, this morning uh, with a uh, preview. So, going to be great weather. We've got to, we've wedged a uh, a nice day in between a couple of wet days here. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, my wife has said for years it does not rain on Sundays during bands or Wednesdays during band season. So, you know, well, I think she's I think she's on to something some, here. Sometimes, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it is. Uh, it's going to be a, a wonderful uh, evening and. Uh, so this is the first. You've got two uh, concerts uh, during the official Riverside Summer Concert Series at Riverside Park. We do. And uh, this is uh, the third. Um, going to do at St. Mike's to right. sort of uh, right. so lead we'll, into the series. We'll, yeah. we'll kick off tonight at 7 o'clock. And this is St. Michael's on Bright Road. Don't right. go downtown because you won't hear anything <laughs> other than traffic. Right. Uh, so come out to Bright Road uh, to the main campus. We'll be on the portico at the front of the church. So mm -hmm. bring a chair or bring a blanket, whatever you want to sit on. And mm -hmm. Uh, we'll kick off at seven o'clock. Our 
concert theme will be a joyful life so it's a lot of fun music uh upbeat things that you may remember from your childhood just okay. uh should be a feel-good kind of thing yeah very uh very cool what are the uh the other two uh shows that you're planning for later in the season so the other two uh wednesday june 28th we will be doing our salute to america that's kind of a staple for us mm-hmm. that will be out at the dudley band shell at riverside park right uh, where you know we normally are housed mm-hmm. and then we will do on wednesday july 12th a final frontier so if you got a theremin feel free to bring it out because uh you'll you'll hear some uh star trek and okay. star wars and all kinds of good fun all stuff. right very good uh so it'll be a, a lot of fun how uh how long does this, when did you start rehearsing? When does the band start rehearsing for this? We start right around Memorial Day. We only do three rehearsals for each concert. And there's anywhere from 100 to 130 of us, depending on the concert. Um, and this is our 72nd season. So so only three group rehearsals. Do yeah. the individuals rehearse uh, aside from the group rehearsals, though? I mean, do you get the music in advance? Do you we know? Because I'm we, thinking... We get it. And, you know, all good musicians practice, right? Wink, wink. Uh, we, we we do get the three rehearsals in. Um, and, and I know there's always a tough lick and a piece of music you have to go through, but... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm just a bass trombone guy. Who do I know? You know, we, we I sit in the back row for a reason. Well, I wasn't going to say that, but since you brought it up, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> as you mentioned, seventy second year, right for the uh, uh, for the band, right, right. That's kind of it's a staple. I mean, it, we we kind of pride ourselves in being the pride of Finley for seventy two years, and yeah. uh, the Riverside Summer Concert Series was founded because of the Civic Band seventy two mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah, um, and it's. For those who are not familiar uh, with the band, how many, I, I don't mean to put you on the spot, uh, you know how many members uh, you have? Anywhere from 100 to 130, depending on the concert. We, yeah. we we hover right around that 100 mark, but sometimes there's that one concert everybody wants to play at, yeah. and summer vacation plans align right, and they can all be there. And uh, these are amateur uh, musicians within the the community who just right. do it because of the love of it such as yourself right we we have folks that are professional we have some that yeah. are quasi professional we have some uh, high school and college students that play with us mm-hmm. and uh and people that have played with the with a band for years come back oh yeah you know, year after year after year we're only on our fourth director in 72 years so there's there's good longevity it's a fun group we're really a family and enjoy playing together and uh we mentioned the uh, uh, the director of West King, uh, relatively new. Still, this yes. is what his uh, third. I believe it's the third, uh, third yeah. year. I think it is. Time flies. Um, so, how has that been kind of integrating? Because a lot of the band members have been around much longer than the director has. Right, right. So you know, every director has their own idea on what they want to do and things they want to tweak and adjust. And mm-hmm. Wes has uh, done a nice job of respecting some of the traditions that we've had and yeah. trying to integrate his own flavor into that. And I think it's been fun for the community to see that after you know Jack Taylor was the director for so many years. Right. Uh, actually, the longest serving director, I believe. I may be wrong, and if Jack's listening, I'm sure he'll correct me. <laughs> But, you know, Wes has done a good job of putting his own flavor on the band, and I think we've enjoyed getting to know his style. Yeah, and and it, it does sort of uh, give a, a fresh influx of new energy right. uh, to the uh, to the band. Again, not to you know, disparage Jack, who's uh, absolutely fabulous for how many years, but it's always nice to have a fresh face and a fresh look. And Jack's our dad. Wes yeah. is our brother. He's young. We're <laughs> <laughs> both good guys. We love them both. Um, so, again, the uh, show, the first of the, uh, the shows of the season, the 
Finley Civic Concert Band is tonight at St. Michael's at the main campus on uh, Bright Road. And you said 7 o'clock, right? 7 o'clock. It'll be about an hour long. So we hope to see everybody out there. And we always can use donations. We're a 501c3. Yeah, that, that actually was something that came about uh, after uh, Jack announced that he was going to step down because yes. for many years he was kind of it in terms of organizing it and he keeping was. it going and so on. And so you really became a more formal group, right. a more formal organization. We did. We formed a board. We formed a nonprofit. And that's to preserve that for future generations. So if, if you ever have questions about the band or you want to learn more about the history or make a donation online, you can do it at FindlayCivicBand.com. Super easy to remember. Um, we, we just appreciate the community support. It's not easy to keep a group going for 72 years. Yeah. And uh, this is a multi-generational thing, and we hope to see our kids play with us someday. Who uh, Who's the uh, longest-serving uh, member of the band? Oh, Again, my gosh. I mean to uh, put you I, on the spot. You know, I know there are folks that have been playing for 30 and 40 years with that group, wow. but I, I it's, there's a handful of them, and if I get the wrong one, I'm going to get myself in trouble. <laughs> Well, we certainly wouldn't want that. No, but, uh, but it, again, it just speaks to the the fact that uh, it is such a, a community staple. People uh, come in, come back year after year after year, literally for decades. Right. So. We we have up to a thousand people sometimes that come out to the park to hear us play, and and yeah. we we really enjoy doing that for the community. Yeah. Uh, again, seven o'clock tonight, uh, and it is uh, joy is the theme. Joy is the theme. It's going to be an awful lot of fun. Great way to uh, to start the summer, and we hope to see folks there. I will be there, and. and Brian will be there, and uh, all of the uh, trombones will be giving me a hard time. Well deserved. (laughs) Again, Brian Widow with us, the uh, Finley Civic Band. Uh, We've got more information on our webpage, and Brian, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thank you. And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the show at our webpage, goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, one quarter to one half of the U.S. workforce could be automated by the end of this decade. That's according to a study from Oxford University. So how can you be one of those who leverages smart technology instead of being replaced by it. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.